Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Three things this morning. Surrendered intention, service to the Lord, and sacrifice of self. Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he's winding it up. He uh, has gone through quite a bit in Ephesus, including the uproar. And, uh, and he's gone through all this different stuff. Eutychus has fainted, you know, fell asleep, uh, fell, died, was raised again by Paul, you know, by the Lord, obviously, through Paul. And uh, so now we get into his final moments before he gets to Jerusalem. And fundamentally, we have a change. We have a shift in uh, Acts because now we move away from the three missionary journeys into the final stages of this particular book, and uh, Paul is imprisoned, and he's on his way to Rome, and that's where Acts begins to focus, where Luke begins to focus his writings. But in this, there's several things here, I think, that are so appropriate, and we're going to be looking at this not only today, but over the next couple weeks. Uh, Paul calls the Ephesian elders to himself, and he wants to speak with them. He doesn't go to Asia. He doesn't want to take too much time there. He's on his way to Jerusalem, hopefully to get to the the Feast of Pentecost. He wants to celebrate that in Jerusalem. And he calls the Ephesian elders and and he says some amazing things to them. And one of the things he talks about is guarding the flock from wolves from without as well as from within. And so the first part of this is really, in my mind, through verse 24, where Paul begins to reaffirm to share with them, to remind them of the things that he's gone through for their sakes, that God has allowed in his life that the proclamation of the gospel uh, would take place. Many of these people had come to know Christ over the last few years, and Paul is simply reminding them of how God has been at work. The first part of this is kind of a snapshot. It's like a real quick Expedia travel log, you know? Have you been on Expedia lately? It's a pretty cool site. I'm not doing a commercial for it. I don't get paid for Expedia, but I think they're pretty kind of neat, you know? And uh, this is kind of Luke's version of of Paul's plans to move forward. It says, we were going ahead to the ship, set sail for Asos, intending from there to take Paul on board, for so he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios, sounds like New Mexico, and the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the day following we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost." There's a quick snapshot here of Paul's travels, and he, and he goes to these different cities, and he's journeying in order to get to Jerusalem. I want you to catch something in this, because I think this is really essential. He was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, I think that's an amazing little statement that we don't want to miss, How many times do we get involved in life and we get involved in our plans and we have all the things that we want to do? We have our Expedia travel log, not only in terms of our vacations, but just in our day. And we start going through and marching through it and we completely leave the Lord right out of it. 
Do we really believe that the Lord is able to interrupt us at any time that he wants? Do we really believe that our time is his time? Do we really believe that? How do you react when you get interrupted? That'll show you pretty quick. Because you, you can look at it in two different ways. Either the interruption is from the Lord, and he has something that he wants to teach in the midst of that interruption, or the interruption was allowed by the Lord. I don't care which way you want to go. Either way, God has something he wants to teach. And do we trust him in that? If possible, if perhaps... James makes a really great statement because he he talks about our mindset, how we ought to view uh, our lives and how we ought to view the Lord's involvement in our lives. In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. What a great premise. What a great statement. What a great way to look at life. If the Lord wants me to go here, then we'll get there. If possible, indicating that it's given over to the Lord, it's yielded to him, it's in his hands. Whatever he chooses to do is fine with me. You know, folks, when we talk about walking by faith, we talk about being persuaded by the Lord, we talk about being empowered by Christ and experiencing him. What we're talking about is a day-by-day mindset that says, Lord, it's all yours. Not just materialistically, but my life is yours. My time is yours. I'm here to serve you. I'm a conduit through which your life is being revealed. So whatever you choose to do is good. Do we believe that? Somebody was sharing with me earlier in the service, there's a lot of fretting going on about our country. Folks, did God fall off his throne? I don't think so. I think we understand that the Lord's in charge, that there's always hope. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign over everything. I'm reminded of a statement that my father-in-law, Wayne, made years ago when he was teaching through a Habakkuk with you. When it all looks like it's falling apart, what's actually happening? God's bringing it together. Folks, if you're not more excited today about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, be encouraged in this. The opportunities to share God's good, holy word today are greater than ever before. And the way in which we live our lives is perhaps more important than what we say. Do we trust the Lord in everything? And do we say, if possible, Lord, this is what I'd like, but it's up to you. Lord, this is what I believe you're leading, but if you want to change it, you go right ahead. Is that our attitude? Is that how we function? And in the midst of it, are we experiencing his joy and his peace and his goodness and his kindness, his transformative power, so that others, when they begin to watch us walk through life and all the different variabilities of it, begin to go, oh, there's a genuine relationship not just a religion, 
Paul was certainly surrendered in his intention. He wanted to get to Pentecost. He wanted to get to Jerusalem in order to experience Pentecost. He was supportive of the Jewish feasts. And we'll see that later on is how God used that in many ways in order to get him to Rome. Well, verse 17, we see Paul's service to the Lord. He says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Paul had taught in Ephesus for at least two years. The first part of this was in the synagogue. He did that for three months, and then there was resistance there, and he began to teach in the school of Tyrannus, where he began to share the gospel of God's grace, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And God used that in a powerful way. God was doing amazing things through the Apostle Paul. Amazing miracles were taking place, not in order to substantiate Paul, but rather to point to the Lord Jesus Christ and to establish the gospel of God's grace. The Jews had constantly been coming against him. They would follow him city to city. How do you like that? We're going to leave Albuquerque. We're going to go to Philadelphia. And here comes a group of people along with in order to stir up strife and in order to stir up difficulty and problems. Constantly they were scheming in in order to try to either put him to death or get rid of him, certainly to silence him. And in the midst of it all, he continued to serve the Lord. The word serving here in verse 19, it's present active, and that simply means he was constantly doing this. It's the word that has the idea of a bond servant, a willing slave. He didn't do this because he had to, he did this because he was allowed to because he got to. He's saying, I didn't serve you out of compulsion. I didn't do it for any other motive. I did it simply because I'm a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I did it for him. How did he do it? How did he go through all that stuff? How did he begin to walk through all those circumstances, all those trials, all those tribulations, the persecutions that he faced and endured, the mental anguish that he must have gone through over and over again, his concern for the church and the health of the church, these young churches that not only needed to be established in the gospel of God's grace in terms of coming to Christ, but also established in now how to walk with God by grace to keep them from the attack of those who would come in and place them under law or those from within who would try to do the same thing. I would suggest he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 7, verse 6, he says, but now we have been released from the law. This is Paul writing it. And again, it was at about this time that Paul wrote the letter of Romans to the Christians in Rome. He says, but now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve. We are servants. We are willing slaves. Our lives are not our own. We are given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we serve? In newness of the Spirit, not in oldness of the letter. We're not doing it because we have to. We do it because we get to. We're not doing it out of our own strength. We're doing it out of the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Paul was serving 
Verse 20, he goes on, he says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Again, he's speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus. He says, I don't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you, if you notice here, there's, there's really four action verbs. The first is serving. How does he serve? He, he's speaking to the, to the way, to the means in which, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and it's not under compulsion. It's out of his free willingness to go to the Lord and say, Lord, here am I. Use me. He's a bondservant. And he clarifies how he served, what he was doing, with these three action verbs, declaring, teaching, and testifying. All of them are with regard to speaking. All of them are with regard to speaking. And clearly the context here is the speaking forth of the word of the gospel of God's grace. Not only to those who needed to come to know Christ, but also to those who had come to know Christ and now needed to know how to walk with the Lord in Christ by the power of Christ. He says he did not shrink back. It has the idea of he he wasn't a coward. He didn't step back. He didn't remove himself in such a way that it was safe. He stepped right into the fray. And he boldly proclaimed the gospel of God's grace. He made sure that not only Jew and Gentile, not only unbeliever but believer, heard the whole full counsel of the word of God. I didn't shrink back from sharing with you, declaring to you anything that was profitable. The word declaring here has the idea of bringing to you the message which is from God himself. As an apostle, the Lord Jesus Christ, he had been given a charge. And it was to take the message of the gospel of God's grace to the Gentiles. And he says, I did that. I never shrunk away from that. I never stepped back. I was not a coward. I declared to you the truth of the gospel. He says, teaching, solemnly testify, excuse me, teaching you publicly from house to house. Teaching has the idea of making sure they understood how to follow God, what it means to walk with God. He did it house to house. He did it publicly. Everywhere he went, whether it was at the synagogue, whether it was the school of Tyrannus, whether it was being invited into somebody's home, it didn't matter. He was constantly teaching, constantly teaching, sharing with them the truth, not according to Paul, but the truth according to the word of God. How to be saved, how to walk in God's grace as a result And lastly, he says, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The word testify here literally means to give an accurate testimony, to be an accurate witness concerning the things that not only he himself had gone through, but those things which had taken place in Jerusalem, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did this both to Jews and Gentiles. In other words, he did this to everybody. He shared his own personal experiences of how he had experienced the Lord on the road to Damascus, how he had persecuted the church, thinking he was doing God a favor, how God had met with him, 
how he had been miraculously saved, now how he had been called to the gospel of grace and how he was being used by the Lord in that. Paul says repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Really, that's a summary of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in many ways. Repentance meaning an acknowledgement of sin and the need for a savior. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ pointing towards the believer, looking towards what God is able to do in and through our lives in order to bear fruit. I like what Zane Hodges wrote on this. He says, in particular, repentance implies, and he uses the word turning from, I like the word acknowledging. Acknowledging the wretchedness of one's former ways. The reality that I need a savior. I recognize my sin. There's nothing I can do in order to overcome my sin. Lord, I throw myself at your mercy and I'm in need of you and what you've done for me. He says, which prepares a man for saving faith in Christ. When somebody repents, when they acknowledge their sin, they have been placed in a position where they're now able to receive what it is that God has said, and they have the opportunity to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, which the Lord promises, if you believe in me, you will be saved. And then he says, but repentance also looks toward the appropriate fruits which in fact can only be born as faith in Christ continues and grows. We start out walking. We're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We have the opportunity to walk with the Lord. The Lord comes and lives within us. The Holy Spirit begins to transform us as we yield our way to him. As we get into the word of God, our minds begin to be renewed. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And we begin to walk by faith, fully persuaded that God is able in spite of our inability. And to experience the Lord in life and God begins to transform us, and then through us begins to bear fruit. The gospel. Paul says, I didn't shrink away from it. I declared, I taught, I testified to everybody. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? Is that true about our lives? Can we say that? Can we say no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we didn't shrink away. We weren't cowards from sharing the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's to an unbeliever that needs hope, whether it's to a believer that needs encouragement, either way. Say, what does the word of God say? And are we willing to declare that? Are we willing to teach that? Are we willing to testify about that? It goes on in verse 22, and here we have a sacrifice of self. He says, Now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. It's clear that Paul knows through the revelation of the Spirit that he's going to be placed in bonds. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to get there, if possible, by the time of Pentecost, He wants to get to Rome. He started out this entire third missionary journey with Luke putting that little caveat in there, that information in there. Paul's desire was to get to Rome. He doesn't know what he's going to go through when he gets to Jerusalem. But he goes anyway. (laughs) I love that. He trusts the Lord. He knows that there's going to be challenges. He knows there's going to be difficulties. He knows there's going to be things that he's going to go through that aren't pleasant. He's been through quite a bit already. But he trusts 
the Lord. Folks, can we say that about our own lives? We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what we're going to go through. We don't know what trials and tribulations await us. But do we trust the Lord? That's the issue. Paul did. He role modeled it. I think the Lord orchestrated this specifically so that we could be encouraged in this. Because in spite of what Paul knew, he decided it's okay for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. It's even better. Praise the Lord. Verse 24 is one of those Verses that I guarantee, I don't know how many times I've read it, but until I started studying this, it, it really never hit me. Have you ever had that happen? Hey, you, start, you start reading something, and all of a sudden the Lord just, for whatever reason, brings out a passage, and it's like a two-by-four hitting you across the forehead, and you went, man, I, I know I've read that, but I don't know that I've ever seen it like that before. Here's Paul's synopsis statement about his life. Here's his purpose statement in effect concerning his life. He says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course of the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Wow. Wow. I don't consider my life of any account. He's not taking into account what he wants. What he thinks he deserves. He's saying my life is of no account. It's not dear to myself. I'm not holding something on. I'm not holding on to stuff. I want to release it to the Lord. Dear means precious, honorable, respectable, or valuable. He says, I want to finish my course. The King James Version has this. Other versions have this. They add this in because some of the Greek texts, it says, with joy. I like that because it fits so much Paul. Philippians is all about joy. No matter what you go through, no matter what circumstances you face, you can face it in Christ with joy because Christ is our joy. I want to finish my course. I want to complete what God's called me to, the service, the ministry, which I've received from the Lord. I didn't come up with this. This is what God's called me to. And I want to complete it with joy, with joy. What's so dear to us that it keeps us from following the Lord fully? What are we hanging on to? Maybe it's our reputation, what others think of us. Maybe there's things that you're scared that people will say about you. That's a very real fear. People are worried about that. Getting labeled. And so you shrink back from declaring the gospel of God's grace. Maybe it's your comfort. Maybe it's your comfort. You love your comfort so much that it, for some reason it prevents you. It's dear to you. And as a result, you're hanging on to it. Your safety. Maybe there's something else. Is the gospel of God's grace worthy of our lives? I would suggest it is. Why? Because it's the message from God to us about salvation, about eternal life, about transformation. Is our purpose knowing Christ? Is it following him? This past week, our Supreme Court 
did something that was sinful. There's no other way to put it. It's a shame. It's shameful. They declared that gay marriage is the law of the land. I'm sure you're very well aware of that. Five justices of the court overturned what's a natural and biblical truth that marriage is between one man and one woman. They did not create marriage, yet evidently they felt like they had the right to redefine it. Phenomenal. If that's not the height of arrogance, I don't know what is. Folks, understand that we are under judgment. We're not just looking forward to, well, maybe it's going to come. No, we already are under judgment. Know that. Understand that. We are the people of God. God will protect us. God will continue to live his life in and through us. We will get to experience. But understand that America as a nation is now under the judgment of God. And it is revealed through this decision. That's the issue here. Understand that. Our freedoms that we have enjoyed and perhaps taken for granted for quite some time are now actively being undermined. We've talked about what ifs. We've talked about that it may be at stake. No, no, no. It is now actively being undermined. Do you follow that? We understand that when that Supreme Court said what they said, there's a law here, and there's some maybe ways in which we can, as the people, raise up and make sure constitutionally we can do something. There's a constitutional amendment process, etc. But we recognize that there's a fundamental difference now in the law of this land. The freedoms that we've enjoyed expressing our religious views, more importantly, our biblical views, are increasingly going to come under attack We are being labeled as bigots. I saw this morning uh, in Louisiana, the governor um, put a hold for 25 days, I believe it is, on these certificates being passed out. And they were interviewing two gay men who wanted to get married. And in effect, they were turning around saying, well, we're bigots. It's a civil right now. We shouldn't have to wait for this. As David put it, well... Love has won out. They're being unloving. Not only that, we can be charged with hate crimes. You realize if I start preaching through Romans, just Romans 1, verses 18 through 36, that suddenly the whole issue of homosexuality comes front and center, that very, uh, the very tangible, real possibility of being charged with a hate crime for teaching that is going to be there. You in your workplace are going to be impacted by this. Some of you, drastically. What about the the Christian, the believing justices of the peace? How are they going to handle this? I mean, it goes on and on. Let me be clear and not shrink from declaring to you the truth of the word of God. The activity of homosexuality is sin. Gay marriage is sin. It's not biblical. It is not Marriage. That's clear, right? Now, I want to 
broaden it. Make, make no mistake about this, folks. We, we know that there's a spiritual war going on. This is one front in that battle. This is a satanic attack on the word of God itself. Because the word of God unambiguously declares that homosexuality is sin. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. You can look these up. Marriage, the word of God declares, is between a man and woman. And let me put it this way. One man and one woman. Right? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 makes that very clear. Ephesians chapter 5, the whole passage, verses 22 through 33, is about marriage, and it's about a marriage between one man and one woman, but it, it concludes that there's, there's a mystery here, and it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ's love for his bride, the church. Understand that this is an absolute satanic attack, not only against the word of God, but against the family and against the picture that marriage represents, which is the Lord Jesus Christ's love for us, the church, the body of Christ. There is no question about that. Do not be caught off guard. Do not be surprised by this. Biblically, there is no other way to view this. I believe that this is an existential threat. That's a fancy word for our existence. This is an existential threat upon the way in which we worship God in America. In other words, the very existence of the church as we have known it, as we have enjoyed it, as our constitution has given us the right with regard to the freedom of religion has expressed it. That is now in jeopardy. It is an existential threat. It's not a side issue. It is a main issue. And we must stand up, folks. Let me just let you know a couple things as your pastor. Number one, as your pastor, by God's grace, I will never perform a gay or same-sex marriage, no matter what the government states as law. Never. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter says this, We must obey God rather than men. That's unequivocal. Secondly, by God's grace, I will never redefine what true biblical love means in order to accommodate sin. Never. And thirdly, by God's grace, our church will never condone we will never support, we will never acquiesce on the issue of sin and or the authority of the word of God as long as I am the senior pastor and an elder serving along with our elder council and our elders as a council are absolutely in unanimity on this particular issue. We will not cave on what the word of God has to say.
Folks, in the context of what Paul's talking about, he's speaking to the gospel of God's grace. I believe that God's grace is able to change and transform people's lives, people's families, communities, nations, the world. The gospel of God's grace is all about salvation. It's all about restoration, transformation, hope, love, and purpose. Folks, we are all in need of God's grace. All of us are in need of God's grace. If we're believers today, we've experienced God's grace, and we need God's grace as we continue to walk with him. Unfortunately, there are still many who have not received the Lord. There's always hope. There's always hope. Look at Saul's life. Look at Paul's life. There are many still who are under bondage. They're hurting. They're without hope. They're enslaved to immorality, carnality, hatred, jealousy, anger, gossip. All of that is sin. And yes, homosexuality is a part of that, along with other things. All of it's sin. And only in Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's grace, are we able to receive forgiveness? Are we able to be changed and freed from the bondage of sin? None of us can boast in salvation or our position in Christ. We, we can't boast that somehow we did this or we earned it. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And here's what I would say to everybody, to those listening perhaps on the, on the radio or perhaps listening through our podcast or perhaps through our TV. All alike, regardless of race, sex, or whatever the sin struggle, we invite you with all love and sincerity to acknowledge your sin and need of salvation in Christ alone as it is our profound hope and experience that Christ himself is able to change your life. Folks, as a church, as the people of God, rather than pointing our fingers at everyone else, to declare their sin. We need to repent. We need to repent. We need to acknowledge our sin as the people of God in all its different forms. If we are going to experience revival in the church, and I don't just mean Hoffmantown, I mean in America, throughout this world, if we're going to experience a national awakening it can only begin when our hearts are right with God, by God's grace. That's the only way this is going to happen. All of us need to make a personal as well as a corporate decision. Are we going to follow man? Or are we going to follow God? Joshua puts it so well. In Joshua 24, 15, he says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Are we willing to say that today? Folks, let me encourage you in something. This isn't a five to four thing with the Supreme Court. We've got a lot of work to do in terms of making sure that there are elected officials who, who represent our values, no question. We've got a lot of work in our own communities and our own families to make sure that the gospel of God's grace is being lived out. That we are willing to share the truth of the gospel of God's grace and not shrink back from declaring the whole truth. And we're going to need one another. We're going to need one another in a way that I don't believe we've ever experienced. We're going to need one another's support, encouragement, prayers. Praise God for God's grace. There's always hope, folks, because God, when he's a part of it, he can change everything. Do we believe that? Let me ask you to do something this morning. And, and honest truth, before you and the Lord, I want to ask you in just a second, if you are willing to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, I want you to stand in affirmation of that. I want you to stand. Go ahead. As the Lord leads you, as God directs you, as a church body, are we willing to come before the Lord and say, Lord, here's our lives. Use them in whatever way you choose. Our finances, our time. There's nothing that is dear to ourselves. There's nothing that we're going to hold on to as dear. We're going to say for us to live is Christ, to die is gain. And the gospel of God's grace is truth, and it's the only hope for those who are enslaved and ensnared by sin. And are we willing to say, yes, Lord, and experience God and the joy of it, experience the sufferings of Christ, and to recognize that God's grace is sufficient in and through us to do what he's called us to do. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.